0: Hello. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast, where we delve deep into episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here. Joining me today is, uh, oh, I, I bring, I, I say if you can talk Trek well, you can talk the Twilight Zone pretty well. So uh, we have another one of the, the mission loggers coming in from the flagship show. It's Norman Lau. Hello. Hello.
1: I'm not sure if uh, you want me to stay in character or... Maybe not. I could talk like this the entire night. I'm a little <laughs> lamped up. I got questions to ask you. I have levers to push. I have slips of paper to pull. I can you do have it the, all. You got the space coffee mug. I spotted that. I do have the space coffee mug. I have uh, for my iced coffee and my tomato sandwich <laughs> with lettuce and uh, stale wheat bread. So I don't know. I could, you know, the whole yeah. thing.
0: <laughs> that, I, I was wondering how far you go. Um my well, you've talked to Luke, one of my my uh co hosts, who um went full Batman villain through an entire um forty five minute podcast. So <laughs> Well, I can. I mean, Matthew,
1: this is up this is your puzzler. show. This is my show. You yeah, know, we, yeah, could, yeah. we could do it any way you want. Uh <laughs> I can stay in character, I can go all the way back to the nineteen sixties and
0: stay in the it park down a or, touch. Yeah. Yeah. Or the or go the back tone down the, version. You know, uh,
1: you know, just uh, think about and ruminate <laughs> on uh, my role in this particular episode,
0: uh,
1: or or not, because it can get really, really, really annoying if I do that. so
0: <laughs> well, what, what's fun is um the the multi accent. Well, one thing is you're you have the, the pretty good Shatner impression, so you can hold it. But uh, you know, you know, a lot of times, even on this show, I have people they start doing one impression. On the prologue mm-hmm. especially and kind of like drift into somewhere else and like by the end they're <laughs> like doing some completely different voice. That's always fun too. But uh, yeah, we're, we're getting all the, chat, all the chat today because this is Nick of Time, which is, I don't know if it's his first appearance on television. I'm sure he had a few before this. Uh, rolling down from Canada to L.A. was... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm actually looking to see exactly when his career started. Year's oh Years act of nineteen fifty one okay, so he'd probably mm-hmm. done a few things before this.
1: well <laughs> oh, they were like uh, i you know, I delved into uh small parts. Uh, I was looking for feature films, and uh my luck the but- never really quite a
0: Here's the first one. oh wow, did some uh Henry the When did he do beforehand? the intruder? The intruder was a very interesting film. oh. No, now the one that I always watched was Incubus, but that's because I'm nuts. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> do you know Incubus?
1: I have heard. I don't think I've seen that or have been that, able to get a copy of it.
0: Yeah, that I, I remember seeing in Borders actually, where they sold it. Uh, sorry, uh, Intruder is 1962. So. Okay. Incubus, and I get, I think Incubus is still Roger Corman because Intruder is Roger Corman. So, um, but yeah, the the thing about that movie is the entire movie is um, Esperanto. So. <laughs> You have Shatner speaking Esperanto through the entire thing. So but what I mean, about I, White Comanche?
1: When did that come out?
0: Oh, let's see. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> he played twin brother Native Americans, which was it's, oh, ouch. Uh, so many levels of insulting right there.
0: Yeah, I, I actually didn't know about that one. I, I thought Incubus was as weird as he gets, but apparently mm. not. <laughs> nope a fiction non oh man i got his disc music he's such a multi-talented man the transformed man's here oh, the transformed man is one of my <laughs>
1: signature pieces oh, you
0: know oh oh it's filmography so long it has a separate page that's why okay uh <laughs> <laughs> so um sorry what what was the name one more time oh white comanche 1960- white comanche 68 he was still doing trek when he did that so that's that's a weird like kind of um it's like tapping into his inner kirok right there yeah. Oh yeah. Maybe he was like i uh, just showed up, he was still wearing the costume. I'm like, okay, just just get into this weird chamber and do your thing. We're
1: just gonna save on budget here and just use the same, you know, uh same costume that you were using. <laughs> it was right across the lot, right? So it's easy that right. way.
0: Do you know what's I'm gonna good, have lunch
1: know? and then I'm gonna do the movie? So yeah. It
0: could be that sort of thing. I mean it it happens, so <laughs> um <laughs> Okay. Actually, we got one more, more uh, Shatner trivia than I, I thought we were going to there. So that's kind of cool. I have a little bit of trivia uh-huh. of my own for this one. So I'll just uh, get through that real quicks. All uh, right. The, the original air date for this one is November 18th, 1960. Uh, this episode was written by Richard Matheson. So I, I think Nick at times about the point where I get to say that uh, this is the writer giving Rod the most proper competition as, as far as scripts are concerned. Uh, just I mean, did not, to, not to get too deep into why I think of the episode yet, but uh, I think it's well written. <laughs> uh, hmm. di- we've talked about director Richard L. Bear before. He's been in the zone in the past. He'll be here in the future, and his batting average for the episodes he does are pretty high. Uh, they tend to be relatively... Iconic ones. Uh, Don S. Carter is played by William Shatner, star of White Comanche. Um, he will make one more appearance in the Twilight Zone and the probably more uh, famous uh, Nightmare at Oh
1: God, is it twenty thousand or thirty thousand feet? It's one of those. <laughs> I think it's thirty thousand feet. But let me ask you something though before you get more of your trivia. Do you really think that that's the? It's really hard uh, to say which one's the more popular one. Uh, probably the one with the gremlin on the plane, though, it's because it's been aped so many times.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like this one, um, it's just like, oh, this one tends to be like the other one with Shatner, and then you watch right. it, and like, oh, it's pretty good. But uh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Th- no, the nightmare is definitely the one that sticks. Although this one has its merch too, because you can you know buy the little devil and put it on whatever you want, and hey, maybe you can get. I think you can get the whole machine, so, you know, oh, in I your have. house and. Uh, yeah. Just never, never leave your house getting weird
1: fortunes and things. <laughs> uh, I've created my own diner. I've created my own diner. It's, it's a scale version. It has uh, the trellis. It has the, uh, the mouthy cook. Uh, it has a uh, endless supply of iced coffee and the machine. So when I don't want to go anywhere, I hit the ticket and then I play the part and I leave nothing to chance.
0: <laughs>
1: now that one was, when you
0: started, it just sounded a little bit Trumpy, too. <laughs> I got a diner, fantastic diner. <laughs> sort of thing. Um, who else do we have here? Patricia Breslin played Pat Carter. While she had several recurring roles on TV shows like Peyton Place and The People's Choice, what got my attention were her appearances in William Castle films like Homicidal and I Saw What You Did. Hmm. So. uh. Okay, here, here's here's the big the big bear for you to bite. If you want to, uh, if you want to really throw your Shatner on, you know, we're going to throw Rod Serling off the bus for this one. And and if you want to take a full Shatner,
1: that that'll be awesome. So let's see. Uh, in terms of reading this, <clears throat> the hand belongs to Mister Don S. Carter, male member of a honeymoon team en route across the Ohio countryside to New York City. In one moment. They'll be subjected to a gift most humans never receive in a lifetime. For one penny, they will be able to look into the future. The time is now. The place, a little diner in Ridgeview, Ohio. And what this young couple doesn't realize is that this town happens to lie on the outskirts of the Twilight
0: Zone. All right. That's fun. Since I'm looking at this, the shared screen, I was like playing a little game. Like, Where is he going to put the pauses? So. <laughs> I don't know myself, and I don't think that Shatner knows either. I think that's the fun of it all. Right? Oh, that was the fun! I was like, I have no clue where he's going to put the pauses. So that was mm-hmm. that was that was interesting. Um, now, the first thing, watching this again last night, uh, this one I did get my proper several views over several months for various reasons, but um, I was like, he's so excited about becoming the world's youngest office manager, which 29, uh, Shatner was 29 when we did it, so we'll assume Don Carter is too. And I'm like, oh, that's probably some, I mean, it's done. I mean, Starship captain at 35, that's impressive, but office manager at 29
1: is kind of like, whatever. <laughs> Worldwide youngest office manager at twenty. Yeah, how does he know that? <laughs> because the world to him is as, be- as big as the state of Ohio. You know, I mean, it's kind of like small town ambition, you know?
0: just yeah. Yeah, such small dreams, I guess. So mm-hmm. I, I guess that was um, uh, not a no criticism on the episode, but just, I guess, part of the fascinating thing of watching him in here. Because in Nightmare, he's just, you know, he's like pretty much off his rocker or getting off his rocker most of the time. Where here he's definitely doing a Shatner, but it's just like um, I, I was saying before we really got in into recording that. It's, it's like the opposite of a Kirk. This guy's like unsure of everything and, you know, can't make decisions almost,
1: you know, without this machine. It's like the enemy within version of Kirk, but the one without the barbarism, you know, the one that always doubted himself, you know, because he's always looking at something to say, am I right? Am I good? Am I promotable? You know, am I marryable or marriage material? You know, everything to him is basically like, like preying on his own doubt in his own, um, deficiencies. I guess that's
0: imposter syndrome, right? So you can uh, step, yeah. up, step to the plate and do all your stupid stuff confidently or, uh, yeah, you can, you can do it this way if you want. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: so it's like the old Stuart Smalley thing. We needed Don, uh, Don Carpenter to look at that mirror and say, am I good enough? Am <laughs> I smart enough? And gosh, darn it. People like me. Yeah yeah really. I, I don't think this
0: diner had any um had any mirrors to speak of, but uh I have had the where what's my getting stuck in a small town situation and eh, not quite a small town, but I did have um I think it was a three maybe five car three to five car pileup somewhere near Stamford, Connecticut, which um punched a hole in my radiator, which oh. that was the end of the car. so I had to wait for my parents to drive from Atlanta, Georgia and i hung out in a hotel room for a few days. And th- this was actually, um this is about 2002. So it's before we all had our, our, you know, our mobile tech and stuff. But I-, I was driving up to go teach in Maine. So I had like Two guitars, a bunch of DVDs, I, a lot of TV. I had my own TV because I was you know, going to be up there for like six months or whatever. So I basically moved into this hotel room for a few days. So that was kind of fun, but a uh, very different experience than getting stuck in this small town, I guess. Uh, any, any fun
1: small town situations on your end? Actually, I'm from small town Ohio, believe it or not. This town? <laughs> uh, not this small. I, I mean, I've driven through towns like that small, but I'm a, originally from a small town called Alliance, Ohio, Northeast Ohio, Stark County and it's kind of town where it's it's big enough be- that it has its own college but it's small enough where most of the people know everyone else's business especially when you go to you know the local high school or local grade school and you know who got in trouble with who or whose parents got in other parents business stuff like that uh there are places in that town where you could go and sit at a you know like one of those banquets with uh you know, the 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 paper napkin holder and the very kind of throwback style of uh you know 1960s diner i mean you could easily stick like the demon machine that's what i'm gonna call it because i don't know what else to call it but like the demon fortune machine on one of those tables just just for kicks and i know that somewhere out there like um one of those sci-fi merchandise you know wholesalers they sell that machine you know with a little jeweled eye and everything on the little devil head um Question is though, who fills the tickets in those machines? Is that the real power behind the machines?
0: That's what I want to know.
1: Maybe. Maybe uh, it
0: makes me think of the, um, the Simpsons, where Homer Homer Simpson's trying to decide uh, if he should like run off with the the, the younger woman, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't even remember what his fortune is. It's like, oh, you should try new things or something. It cuts to the the back where, uh, <laughs> hey,
1: we're out of these.
0: Oh, just start putting in the stick with your wife cards <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i think it's the cook man it's always the cook that's like responsible that he's kind of smarmy right like he's all about um you know i know that you like these tomato and lettuce and bread sandwiches or whatever but you really should try the chicken fried steak i'm pushing the chicken fried steak pretty hard today so because it's expired tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) yeah and he needs to sell it by three o'clock so see the tickets work in his favor like stay here so i can sell you some chicken fried steak and iced coffee cuz that's a winning combo right yep. i was going to say there's not necessarily
0: anything supernatural going on in this episode although going by that theory maybe he's kind of like the uh the man of the twilight zone screwing with everyone that that that's a, that's a few hurdles to jump but uh but i do want to throw that idea that maybe nothing nothing weird is actually happening in this episode you know, the cook is filling in the cards and not thinking
1: about it. <laughs> right. You know, so it's one of those things where, you know, when um you're like late to a party and like all the, the fun jokes have already been told and most of the people there are already drunk and you kind of come in and like, ah, this vibe isn't for me. So think about it this way. Like you walk into this diner and you see, you know, the carpenters and they're fraught with despair and they're pumping pennies into this machine. And you're just kind of like sipping on your malt and like what the heck is wrong with these people you know you're not you are not influenced by the twilight zone at all you're just watching these people going nuts and then they leave and then that other couple comes in and they start going nuts and you're like people just get your car and drive down the road you'll be out of this situation in like five minutes right (laughs) but the twilight zone again hits people differently right yeah yeah and um
0: I I guess at some point you're gonna get maybe even multiple couples in there. Well, no, they have to be at the one machine. Maybe, maybe they you know fight over the machine. I don't know. Um.
1: Oh, that would be great. Can you imagine like a sequel to this where that like people are literally like murdering each other to get their fortune? That yeah, (laughs) not a terrible idea.
0: Um, I was. It did remind me, and I. I don't know if I mentioned on this particular podcast, but um, uh, th- since COVID, I haven't seen this happening. But I, I take the train to work, and it, one, not kind of medium-sized station, not one of the major ones, but uh, not one of the real tiny ones. And um, there's this guy because people are really into trains in, in Japan. So uh, there's a guy about eighteen, nineteen. You know, probably not, probably isn't completely all there, but uh, he's on the train platform making train announcements. Um, in Japanese, right? Next week I come, there's a different person doing that on a different platform. And then not long after that, they're both there competing with each other, like yelling train announcements over each other from different train platforms. So, real announcements for real trains, or are they just making it up? They're just making it up. Although the trains are coming, they're just really excited about the trains coming. So, whoa. Yeah, it's, it's, a, like I said, I think maybe they're not all there too, but there are people that are just like really obsessive about that sort of thing. But yeah, maybe think like people fighting over the machine or kind of like people
1: shouting fake train announcements at each other from different train platforms. Yeah. I took a, I took a, um, because I'm, you know, this is like the mission log way of looking at an episode. I've taken a bunch of notes. I was wondering if you would be, you know, willing to entertain a couple of the weird things that I spotted in this episode. Oh, by all means. <laughs> all right. So at the very beginning of the episode, the ste- like there was a lot going on with like the non-steady cam. Like it's like, almost like mounted on top of like the winch of the tow truck, like looking down on Don and Pat Carter. It It just seemed a little odd because it was so unstable. Did you see that? Did you, did you feel like the camera was just a little wobbly, a little Ye- wacky?
0: Yeah I, yeah, I also thought it was kind of like bizarre they were in the car because I feel like they don't let you stay in the car they're towing. <laughs> Usually you're up in the cab, like with yeah. the tow truck driver. Yeah. E- even in like 1960, I'm pretty sure that they would be like, come on up to the cab, please. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, that that actually, you know what? I don't think I noticed the camera so much because I was sitting there like, why are they in the car? So. <laughs>
1: yeah, that, that was weird. They're kind of like smiling at each other, Like, "Ah, oh. you know, it's just happens every day and we get picked up like this Uh, they're
0: they're having their sort of honeymoon right they're in their honeymoon glow i think is what they say so you know you just got married you have a good time where you are um he 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 tries to have a good time at the diner doesn't he He just gets obsessed
1: (laughs) well that's the thing like i i saw that it cost a penny and i'm like why a penny like why not a nickel why not a dime of course you know the currency was way different back then but then i got to this whole like penny for your thoughts motif with the machine like they have a thought here's a penny penny for your thoughts here's a fortune so it started this whole kind of downward spiral of everything like obviously whatever don was thinking wasn't influencing influencing the machine but it's like that's that old saying right you know here's a penny for your thoughts and now that started this whole downward spiral just for that little bitty coin i love he's just dumping like change out on the table um again i I'm, I'm a little suspicious of the diner owner. Like he's, he's always kind of in their face and not in a very hospitable way. Like it's either you're not ordering the right thing or she's, what else can I get for you? But he did get, he does get tipped twice, which is nice. You know, like Don doesn't want to make any change. Here's just a couple bucks. You know, I'm probably way overpaying for my sandwiches, which is funny. Um, why, here's a question though. Why didn't Don ever let Pat read her own tickets? That's well, one, yeah, I guess
0: maybe she's not into it maybe maybe yeah I'm, i mean i'm adding in what headcanon that maybe she's not on the fortunes or something and they know that but yeah uh it gets back to his obsession though and uh i, I told you i brought up a, a wiki page before getting into this and mm-hmm. this is what actually came to my mind with his obsession uh have you heard of a jerusalem syndrome no okay this is um th- i mean this is one of those things that's not like there has been like actual psychologists have talked about, but it's not the sort of thing that's like completely like a real thing. But uh, someone did make the description, psychological description in the early thirties about people who will visit Jerusalem or like the Holy land uh, with no previous uh, history of mental illness. And then just go psychotic while they're there. Like they might get a, a messianic complex or just get really paranoid. Like there's people following me or like, they'll just suddenly decide, oh, I'm in Jerusalem for like the most important time in the history of the world, you know, just like wild delusions of of grandeur when they come into the Holy Land. And I almost wonder if like this little town has like a small version of that where these guys become
1: like obsessive over, you know, this machine or whatever. I mean, I think that it's an interesting like character study in, in like what Don wants out of life and then how he's kind of like the perfect vessel to get fed all of this like manipulative information. I mean, the first thing that we saw, he's like emptying out his pockets. You see the rabbit foot and the lucky clover. I mean, you like that's about as like superstitious of kind of like charms as you can like have like in in one keychain. And then there's the whole kind of like self doubt thing with I got to like spend you know nearly a buck, you know, and and buck in those times can probably buy you like half that lunch. You know, he spends like a buck to call his work just to see whether or not he made the you know made the uh world's you know youngest list of uh office executives or whatever he was you know paper pusher but it, it's important to him you know it's, it's so important to him like to make sure that everything is kind of like buttoned down and and going his way and one thing you know just one little thing that like sets him off sets off this entire uh downward spiral of of paranoia and fear and it's to be honest with you like i don't think the episode really is an epic episode i don't think it's actually even really a great episode it's very good but it's cast well if it weren't for william shatner in that role and you know what i'm i'm coming from it from the standpoint of i'm bringing the legacy of william shatner into watching this i'm not necessarily watching it as if i would have watched it back in 1960 so I'm wondering if people are like, yeah, it's a good episode. You know, this kid's, you know, he might make it someday, you know, decent enough actor. You know, he sold the script. Or, you know, is it really hard to separate now the legacy of the man from an episode like this and say, of course this episode's great because of him? But he's not even really not the best version of William Shatner in this, you know? Yeah, that's where I was like
0: saying this one's kind of fascinating for not being his super. I mean, people know it, but it's, you know, like again, Nightmare is the one that he's definitely known for. People know. That al- almost as much as they do know Kirk, you know, a little less probably. But um, but this one, yeah, you you can't watch this with 1960s eyes at all because you're seeing right. like one of the better known actors on the planet, you know, looking like himself. You know, there are sometimes you might see a, an actor and they're so young. Um, you know, it's like when you see pictures of guys that were born middle age, like like Bruce Willis or young Arnold Schwarzenegger. There's a picture, mm-hmm. you know, that just doesn't look quite right. <laughs> right. And they almost kind of like look like half-baked. You know, they're not quite fully formed yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I guess that's part of the charm of this, is that we do get the uh, fully formed uh, Shatner. And, and I, never quite, I never quite fully answered your question about why isn't the wife doing fortunes. Um, partly, maybe it's 1960 television. Although, I mean, the Twilight Zone gets past a lot of 50s conventions. But, mm-hmm. you know, when you're breaking ground, you're going to be held back a little bit too i was Fair. also thinking if, if say you and i were at a diner and you start getting fortunes i might just be like i don't feel like wasting my my money on that um you know I, I remember spring break in high school we all went and everyone decided to like bungee jump right or do the it was like the bungee swing or something and it looked fun i wasn't like scared about it but i was like well, if I save the $35, I can buy
1: the police box set, which is actually what I did. So <laughs> smart. But in this case, though, she's actually the one that's pushing, like she's pushing the lever and she's putting the penny in. He's the one who's pulling the slip. So it's like she's doing, you know, it's it's almost kind of like she's asking the questions, but he's interpreting the answers. So it all feeds into his paranoia and really none about her. Right. You know, she's not It's kind of like the circuit, you know, like if you're going to do act one and act two and act three of a specific mental action, you have to have the resolution. And she's not getting the resolution, so she's not involved. It has really no effect on her because it's the Pavlovian lever syndrome. You know, like you hit the lever, you get the pellet, you eat, and then there's no more food. So you hit the lever, you pellet, you eat, you know, and then you Mm -hmm. do it ad nauseum so that you know you don't go hungry. Well, she doesn't get to finish that. So she's like, ah whatever i don't care you know because i don't get to read my own slip you sexist bastard right (laughs) yeah what would have told her something very vague probably but (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) um i'm I'm saying here thinking about portents i've you know i i don't think i've gotten obsessive like this guy over this sort of thing but uh what what do we get obsessed about in university uh I remember the late night sessions where everyone would sit down with like the purity test or something and obsess over those for a while. So um, I, I guess surveys get people's attention. This one's a little more
1: akin to gambling, I guess, fortune telling or, or gambling a little bit. Right. Well, you know what? It, it does prey on kind of like your your deepest, darkest fears. You know, they. I used to, um, you know, we used to watch our, our science fiction here in the United States, you know, like midnight, one o'clock. Then all of a sudden kind of like these fortune telling you know, shysters come on like these commercials and like, you know, if you want, do you want to know your fortune? Do you want to know if you're going to make a lot of money? Do you want to know if you're going to be happy, if you're healthy, if you're going to have cancer, all this kind of stuff. So it's these 1-800 or one eight 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 numbers that pop up on the screen. That's essentially like the modern version of what's happening in the diner. You know, he wants, he's getting just enough information to make him pump in another penny to pull the lever and then get another ticket or push the lever, get another ticket because there's nothing magical about the machine. Everything is happening in the psychosis of what's happening in the downward spiral of when he's sitting there because that's the person he is. And I think that actually, you know, when you really take a look at it, Pat's got a lot of thinking to do because she just basically saw kind of like her fiance just crack like in front of him or in front of her. Right? Yeah,
0: not not a great honeymoon. I don't know. I guess he gets over it, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, they seem to they, they drive off uh,
1: relatively happy in the end. Um, Yeah. But like, you know, going back to the, like, what do we obsess over? I mean, there are a lot of things that, you know, it's like the magic eight ball. It would have been really interesting if they like did a magic eight ball version of it in a modern day setting. You know, like somebody, you know, you're at a, you're at a party with a bunch of friends, you know, maybe you've had like one too many things to drink and all of a sudden you find this magic eight ball in the corner in a pile of junk Then you start shaking it and it doesn't have the traditional, you know, maybe seems so looks good. That kind of thing. What if it just got, what if it kept changing? you know because they there're only like what it's a, there's a pyramid in there so there're only like one five six you know ants possible answers that you can you can get you know by shaking that you know the the magic eight ball and all of a sudden it starts having these wacky like random you know uh like fortune telling answers you're like no this is impossible this an eight ball shouldn't be able to do this right and then you give it to somebody else you're like of course this like this is the basic generic eight ball right but to this person it really fed into the psychosis and started making them see things that weren't there.
0: Yeah. I I almost wonder if the, the, um, the novelty is part of the problem for him. Cause I'm thinking in Japan, you know, we tend to get our fortunes at new year's and other times, if you have a test, you might go buy a fortune and you pass mm-hmm. through the gates with the, you know, the oni the, the, the guardians, which are somewhat demonic looking, right. And you get your fortune. Um, <clears throat> the main point is I, I got this one that I actually got in Tokyo like 15 years ago, but, uh, I just have to read a bit of my fortune because mm. it's the worst translation ever. <laughs> so oh, the it, fortune. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, number 31 final, the least fortune, a chance doesn't come yet. So a large can't change into a giant bird. Everything is not ready to move on. Stand still on the shoreline waiting for a good chance in future. A chance is coming to the fish to be a giant bird. The giant fish is mealy to fly to the sky, pushing up the waves. Everyone can earn the big fame when he meet a chance. So, I, I am. I guess I've obsessed over this bizarre fortune because it's been in my wallet for fifteen years. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, what? What? What do you think it means? Um, actually, uh, I I should throw out that I also have good fortune. Um, it makes a little bit more sense when you see the good one because they're just like it's like someone translated the good one still not well and then like translated that into the the other one and it just lost all meaning because this one says an arrow you shoot always gets the target everything you do will get quite well you know that Mm. makes more sense right but then you transliterate that to the bad fortune and you
1: just get gibberish so (laughs) you know it's kind of like um like anything like reading into a horoscope or like, you know, believing in a fortune cookie that you pull out of, you know, basically like overcooked pastry. Yeah, it's it's all about the power of suggestion, you know. Like, are you that person or are you not? I mean, that's like what, you know, that's why it's kind of like uh going back to what was it WC Fields like a money, a full and his money, you're soon parted. You no, know, because all you have to do is to say, Hey, this is gonna change your life. This is gonna cure everything, this is gonna change your fortune, and you're gonna throw a lot of money at it, just the way that you know, that Don Carter did, you know, with the machine. So it's all about. You know, he, he was the the right person at the right time for that machine. You know, he was unsteady, you know, underconfident, you know, full of doubts and he's going into a new life, you know, he's going to maybe get that new job. Maybe he's going to, his vacation is going to be good. A lot of maybes in the air, you know, and then all of a sudden his car gets, you know, trashed and he's like, oh man, everything's terrible. Let's go get really terrible sandwiches and really terrible service and terrible water and all of a sudden the one thing this one thing makes sense to him and it's this weird fortune machine that pumps out like a, a, a semi cohesive semi you know um uh, semi wise you know type of uh, uh, piece of advice and he's like this is the only thing that's making sense to me right now and it's not even really making sense but it's the only thing i got because everything else kind of is weird it, it, like i said like looking at it from the the bare structure of the uh, or the architecture of the episode It's very basic, you know, it's a very basic, like, you know, this guy, he's not, he doesn't have maybe like the best handle on life. And then he does, but then all of a sudden you throw William Shatner in there. Like, wow, this episode is amazing. It's (laughs) epic. It's everything. And I'm wondering, you know, there are a lot of great actors who are great now that weren't great then, but we're in the twilight zone. I'm wondering who do you think would have been just as good, if not better In that role from like the alumni that has come through the twilight zone you know um not to put you on the spot it's just kind of like a general question because like you know the um the nightmare at thirty thousand feet you know and william shatner you know he's very iconic in that role but then you know in the twilight zone the movie in the 1980s you know john lithgow played that role also just as great but yeah very different version but very very different version. version right but i think it's just almost as memorable because john lithgow is such a good actor so take this story, like who would have been like, let's put like Gary Lockwood, you know, he's, you know, in that same kind of, um, that, that same age range, a uh, peer group of William Shatner's, would he have pulled off the episode just as well, or if would have been better or worse? Missing,
0: yeah. You know? See, I guess he'd be missing in a bit of the intensity in a way. So, yeah. um, I mean, he's great on screen, right? But right. he doesn't. Uh, again it's it's like you said the whole legacy thing there's just like this certain like oh i know what this flavor is going to be when you get shatner on screen where gary Gary lockwood again he's probably because he's a better actor i'm not quite sure what i'm going to get when he's on screen (laughs) (laughs) right yeah
1: so that's uh, that's an interesting thing like uh kirk well true um william shatner has a very specific lane you know you can get just he goes for it, you know, almost like abashedly, you know, and shamelessly, you know, he just goes for the, the, I guess, the honesty of the role, you know, and he's, sometimes when you watch his eyes light up, which were like super scared in this episode, by the way, it was very strange, <laughs> right? But I guess that was the, the pancake makeup style of the time. But, you know, he just, he, he acts a lot with his eyes, you know, sometimes he's very leery, sometimes he's very condescending, sometimes he's overexcited, or sometimes he looks like you know, the wind just got like knocked out of him. So he's that's the stage training. You know that those are the kind of things that you need to sell a stage. You know, when he was the Royal Shakespeare Company and um, you know in in Canada, I think it's British Columbia, along with you know Christopher Plummer. So you have to sell those big, big you know facial movements in order to sell the crowd who are like, like you know hundreds of feet away, um, you know, for from the stage. So uh, yeah, it, it it would be interesting to see like, or what if they threw in like a George Takei in there?
0: you know, they, uh, they interracial couple. the in
1: Twilight Zone, yeah. <laughs>
0: right, yeah, yeah. So and, I- and, and that, you know, that could have been something on the table because the Twilight Zone had like one of the first TV episodes with an all-black cast. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, George Decay does show up eventually in an episode which was one of the ones they kept out of syndication for quite a while too just for being, you know, somewhat harrowing and, and things like that. So, uh, we'll get to that one when we get to that one. Um, yeah. I, I I was sitting here thinking I couldn't quite think of like a Twilight Zone actor that would fit the bill other than Shatner. Also keeping in mind that I'm pretty laser focused, so I'm really thinking first season and up to this point in the second season. But um, right here, here's I, I don't know why this popped to mind. It would almost be like the opposite effect, but that could be interesting too. Um, one we're going to have to move this to a pub in in the countryside of England instead and take about five to 10 years off of his age in 1960. Well, Peter Sellers, because uh, like you said, Shatner, you got the legacy, you got the package, he's all there. Where Peter Sellers, there's like nobody home. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. his wives and friends would say like, there's just nobody there. He's acting or there's nothing there. And I feel like that would be an interesting effect in this episode.
1: <laughs> well, you know, there's, um, there's something to be said about, you know, taking like, again, the architecture of this episode and trying to find that the actor who I think would probably be a little bit more sympathetic because, you know, at this time, you know, at at that age, you know, 29, William Shatner, very good looking, you know, chiseled, you know, you know, uh, very fit. He's the kind of guy that you don't really worry about, you know, um, when he leaves the diner. The couple that comes in afterwards, you know, they're a little older. They almost look like um, they're empty nesters and it looks like their lives are, you know, they're in a downward spiral. And they don't really know how to get out because they don't look like there's a lot of promise ahead of them. And they, 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 uh, they costumed and they, the, the makeup and kind of like the overall look of them, they just looked beaten down. And maybe that's what life has done to them. So if you get an actor, and actress that plays the carpenters differently and makes them look differently and maybe look more homely and sympathetic, where you're like, you know what, they're hinging on like the, you know, the fortune of every penny and every ticket that comes out to the point where you really see it like take a toll on them physically. You know, Now I know it's going to be a longer story than like what 25 26 minutes that you get. But at the same time though, there's just something about uh, the the two that they cast, you know, William Shatner and uh, Patricia, they just seem a little safe from the the damage that the uh, machine is causing them. Maybe because that's the point, maybe because they're at that tipping point of we're still young, we're still hopeful, we'll, still op- we'll we're still optimistic and we can leave. Um, as long as, you know, we get our, you know, uh, our, our, uh, the support system going between each other and say like, we're going to leave this place, but now you get a Peter Sellers and that's a really interesting thought because he can play, uh, wounded very quickly. You know, he can play, you know, despondent very quickly. And that's the thing that this machine would do to something like him, you know, or someone like him. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the interesting thing about this episode is like, it's, you can insert X actor here, and then what would the result be? Would would the result be the the result that you want, or would it be the the same result every single time because the story is you know holds up you know an expectation you know just in terms of the beginning, middle, and end? I, I guess that's the thing. Since there is only an
0: inferred supernatural element in here, that means whatever the the whole Twilight Zone of this episode is someone's delusion and different people are going to get to different delusions in different ways. So right. yeah, that's where, I, where I'm like, oh, sellers would get to a very different one, but I think it would still be a pretty satisfying one. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, you'd, you'd see him probably get racked by these different, you know, Shatner's just kind of like bull in a China shop with all these fortunes. Right. Whereas right. Uh, sellers mm-hmm. would probably like kind of shift and go into different emotional states as he gets different answers and makes different, sense out of them i mean and and with the same script right
1: this is all in the acting so (laughs) that um, would be such a great like an interesting um you know like one of those kind of anthology type of exercises where you would get four or five different stabs at this exact same story like could you imagine like a sam raimi you know directing this the way that he does you know like extreme angles and you know the way that he just goes a little bit more on the kooky side of of directing and then you would get. Um, you know, get another couple of directors and all see their own, you know, interpretations of it. But, uh, you know, I, that's, I think that um, I, I'm going to go back. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of like, like, like uh, maybe change one of my earlier shapes. It's not that it's a bad episode. It's not that it's an average episode. It's an episode that I think is very malleable, right? You know, and that doesn't necessarily make it, you know, average or less than. It just makes it to the point where you can insert other uh talents in place and see if you're going to get different results because the story has a lot of promise, you know? And I, I think the one thing that they did right, and they would probably overdo in today's storytelling is they probably would have, today they probably would have made more of a backstory to the cook where he's like doing some type of like, you know, satanic sinister ritual in the back mm-hmm. with a chicken fried steak, you know, and like infusing you know, uh, the tickets with, you know, some type of black magic. Now in, in this case, it's just like, he's just a dude there, you know, he gets people coming in and out. He needs to push something before the, before his produce or whatever, like that goes bad. And he like, yeah, you know, I, I got to clean up all these messes of paper, like all over my table every freaking day because of these things. It would have been interesting to see if a traveling salesman like dropped off, like the next new one, you know, and that oh, traveling salesman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you could have like... a
0: little stinger like that for sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, how do people get stuck into these mindsets these days? I, I'm thinking like um, this is in quotations. What's on your mind? I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's the that I think that's the general Facebook um, invite to write something. I'm actually opening Facebook to see if that's still the case. I, I think it is. Yeah. What's on your mind, Matthew? <laughs> you know, that's what Facebook is asking me. So is, is that the modern equivalent where we just get obsessed with uh, different social medias? That's not fortune telling. That's
1: that'd be more like the one nine hundred number, right? But (laughs) but it's it's a good modern interpretation of it. I mean, you're just kind of like looking for something to to latch onto, and maybe that's that downwards pile that you go to. Like you know, you're. I I look at uh, feeds, and I'm just like, you know, all of a sudden it goes from one or two statements into like you know an entire thread, like minutes worth of this devolved conversation, and you're just like, where did where are you people? Coming up with the interpretations of what's being said, uh, I, I think that um, there's a certain sense of isolationism that's obviously that's that's been you know exacerbated by social media, by COVID, you know, by the separation of you know people from uh, you know being in the office or being at school, you know, or being out in the workplace or being on playgrounds or like being at conventions, you know, and that that isolation isolationism does cause for a little bit of kind of you know depression. You know where people are kind of like grasping at straws for some kind of connection i think that's what that is I, I think that's kind of like the modern equivalent of you know this desperation that's uh trying to fulfill something trying to like fill a, a hole or a void in someone's life for some reason or another yeah because when don carter has his wife pulling the lever and handing him the fortune
0: i guess he's getting mm-hmm. that little dopamine kick that we get when we you know get a response to our social media <laughs> sure and the yeah. computer the computer is pulling the lever in that case right or your time is because yeah you're like how many people are going to respond and um actually i'll, I'll say I've, i i post these episodes in various places and some of the twilight zones i i get that kick because a bunch of people are suddenly like oh yeah we we dig that cool i'm, right. I'm pressing a button i'm making respond response from people that is one difference he's you know we're trying to at least interact with other people whereas um don is very much like kind of isolating
1: himself, even from his wife, who's next to him pulling the lever. <laughs> well, I, it's kind of the same thing with, you know, when your phone goes off, you know, or a ding goes off, you know, or you see like a, like, you know, a heart goes off to whatever you posted, you know, you, you, it's kind of like the question is put out there. And all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, when you on social media, using this dynamic, you know, you pose the question, you post it out there and that's kind of like the act of asking and then pulling down the lever or pushing the lever. And then all of a sudden the thumbs up or the heart or the smiley face, that's the ticket, right? That's the ticket. Everything else after that is what's printed on the ticket. So you have this interesting kind of like endless loop of this dopamine effect. And it's very powerful. I mean, you know, psychologists have done this study over the course of time for generations. And it really just depends on, you know, what strategy is going to have the strongest reaction. And then how does that reaction become something that it's so powerful that the addiction is almost unbreakable. And that's what was happening to Don. You know, the addiction to that was nearly unbreakable if it weren't for his wife. Another thing um, with with the Facebook and
0: just promoting stuff, I found that it tends to be disseminated more if, and I did this the first time, just like I was just trying to be funny, probably with the question, but Facebook loves it when you ask questions that people Mm -hmm. can respond to. I mean, I think we all get these like, I don't know if we all do. I certainly do. The Quora emails, right? And they quickly, the algorithm quickly figures out which ones you're going to click on. So I just get a bunch of random questions about the Beatles into my phone every day, right? So <laughs> 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 but, but, oh, really, I mean, that that's not even a joke. So, <laughs> so I probably get like five, like, okay, did Paul McCartney like really take a year off? I'm like, did he? Oh, that's interesting, right? All right. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, that's kind of a modern equivalent. And in, in this case, I just went pointless, you know,
1: fab four factoids but <laughs> well i mean It'll... if you had to you know if you had to do this in a modern story would this be the vehicle that you would use would you use social media as the demon box
0: is social media the demon box okay hey, um right. i i'm i'm going to I, i'm going to phrase this uh trying to leave nothing political on it at all but is this the same mindset that a few years ago would have marked the q obsessive? perhaps you've got the drops all the time. The drops are like the lever gets pulled. You get this vague thing that you're supposed to, you know, decide what, what the future means, you know, somehow that turns into a 102 year old JFK is going to appear at daily plaza
1: again. You know, it's weird. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's this, it's this interesting way of trying to deliver uh, the power of suggestion, you know, into, uh a group of people or a person or a select group of people that are, are, are very vulnerable to that, you know, and it's not just political, uh, although, you know, their studies have been shown that there are, there's, there's a lot of kind of like infiltration with a lot of these mechanisms in place where they're pushing these messages out there, forcing people to make these decisions based solely on, uh, you know, the, the predatory strategy of, um, of the marketing that's out there, forcing them to, you know uh elicit a response you know from this marketing so that's a far more you know um orchestrated way of what was happening in the diner you know everything that don uh, feared most whatever the answer was on that ticket it was just enough to be able to uh to connect those fears to the next level you know of his paranoia and i think that that's kind of like it's a very interesting way of, of seeing like how modern marketing can still do that. You know, all you need is the power of, um, the suggestion of, or, or towards a suggestible person, you know, towards a person who's vulnerable to that kind of statement. And then all of a sudden you're off to the races and then everything kind of takes care of itself for better or worse after that.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, one thing, uh, just, to finish i thought there's the the um i'll, I'll give him a soft plug the, the q A anonymous podcast which is kind of looking at it from the from more like the other viewpoint and they're, they're not q heads but one point they do make is these people do have grievances and that grievance is being like kind of exploited so in this case don well he's more he more has like no confidence right in himself no self-esteem and that's being exploited by this machine and then like mm-hmm. you said the the old haggard emptiness couple the the effect is that much
1: stronger like they oh, yeah. really cannot get out of this town right right and uh, maybe that's what happened to their family like maybe their children left them or left them early or you know, who knows because you know this this diner and the demon box is just one example of you know the the personality traits that these couples have you know and maybe it's either um in that couple you know it's a it's a partnership of trust and support so maybe in that particular couple the empty nester couple and i only say that because that's just kind of like the flavor i get off of them maybe they just don't have the um you know th- that shared support that shared discipline to be able to pull one or the other out of the downward spiral so they both go down together And I think that Pat is one of those kind of personalities where she's like, and and she stood her ground. She's like, I don't like this. I don't know know what's going on. It's like, you want to go in there fine, but I don't want to go in there with you. He's just very adamant. He's like, no, we're going to go in there and we're going to take care of this because the fortune telling machines, right? I I really wish though, if they, I really wanted them to try other machines, right? And (laughs) that means that every single time he went back into the diner to try a machine, it kept spitting out those same messages no matter where he turned, right? So he always felt like the only place that made sense to me was the diner itself, not just that one particular booth. Because each booth, and even at the um, at the the bar, they all had a machine nearby. So it doesn't matter. Like uh, Pat said, why don't you try this one? And he kept looking at that couple to try to like, he was like trying to stare them away, like shoo them off, like get away from my booth. Because that's the only one there that spoke to him in that way. I would have liked all of them to have done that at least once.
0: Yeah, yeah, a little trial and error. But um mm-hmm. I guess the whole point is he's not thinking particularly logically. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Before I hit my questions, um we, we we got we went quite a ways with with your first note. Um I don't know if you managed to hit some of your other ones or if you had another one you definitely wanted to throw out. <laughs> Oh, I, I, we, we pretty much got to a lot of what I wanted to
1: talk about for sure.
0: Okay, cool. Then I will start throwing out some, some of my, the questions I asked at the end of uh, all of these episodes, the first Mm -hmm. one being who exactly in this episode went into or through the twilight zone. Oh, I think, I think Pat did to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay, why why Pat then? I mean, you know, I feel like the obvious choice might be
1: Don, but hey, I'm definitely more interested in hearing about Pat. <laughs> because I think that she was observant enough to know the, the manipulation that was happening. You know, she had like one foot in and one foot out. I think Don was obviously, he was just blinded by, you know, his paranoia. He was blinded by the effect of what was going on. But Pat saw it for what it was, but also experienced the you know, the, um, the allure of it, the allure of that, that, that dopamine effect, but she was able to pull herself out of it and thereby being able to pull Don out of it. So I think that just from the, her ability to observe both worlds happening at the same time, I think that she had a better understanding of where she went into, like what she was getting into the twilight zone. Okay. Yeah.
0: I, it's a little bit of a snarky answer, I guess, but I I think in the end, I'm going to settle on the nobody did um that's that's where at the end of this episode last night i went on weekends and went reading the jerusalem uh syndrome page because i was like well he is kind of just having like a small breakdown (laughs) i mean that this episode isn't i mean it's it's in sharp relief it's got you know shatner Shatner shatnering as hard as he can but Mm -hmm. it is um there's nothing i mean people get people you know get into weird modes of thought and we see two dudes do it in the same place that's why i'm like the location seems interesting but i kind of like mm-hmm. calling this one an episode with nothing supernatural you know they, they're doing it to themselves which is kind of i guess that's
1: twilight zoning in its own way but yeah that's fair that's fair uh you're right um sometimes like uh, with the twilight zone i think we expect like some major turn of events you know like in masks or something you know like something's going to happen or you know uh uh you know, eye of the beholder, something like that, you know, where something grand happens. But I think the grand thing that happens in this episode is that they left because we know that another couple couldn't. Right, right, exactly.
0: But uh, again, people do get in weird frames of mind and unhealthy frames of mind. And it's not unrealistic that this sort of thing could happen. Like with the couple that really is stuck. I mean, that, that there, I, I guess I would say they're a lot deeper in the twilight zone than our stars. Cause that's they, fair. Um, yeah. When we did the season one breakdown, one of, one of the other uh, regulars was like, um, yeah, I think the twilight zone ends with, uh, he was like the weirdest one. It's like, how does this person even go on with, with Don and his wife? We know how they're going to oh, go. Don and Pat, we know how they're going to go on. They're going to go out of town. I guess he's going to be the world's youngest office manager, but uh I don't know how that older couple is going
1: to go on. How do they get, make it to tomorrow? You know, (laughs) right. And you can substitute, you know, the demon box for any kind of addiction. You know, they could be alcoholics that can't get out, right. You know, they could be, you know, push users that can't get out, you know, or, you know, gamblers that can't get out anything that has a high enough addiction threshold where they can't see, you know, the end of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel, because they just can't get there. Right. Right okay
0: that that's that's a great lead into my next question you just made it heavier man which is do they and, and we'll, we'll basic well actually yeah let's focus on this on both couples then. um do they deserve their trip through the twilight zone uh, <laughs> does anyone i guess <laughs> uh, well um uh,
2: actually i would say, i would say
0: don kind of does because this act the twilight zone if this even is a twilight zone um what is the show, of course, but I mean, metaphysically, like he ends up in a better place at the end, right? He's yeah. got a little more confidence. uh He's got a, a bright future ahead of him. So, you know, this experience didn't really harm him. I mean, his his
1: wife might think he's a little weirder than before, but <laughs> well, didn't uh, didn't Rod at the very beginning say that they're on the outskirts of the Twilight Zone? So, in terms of power threshold, they're not quite there. They're just kind of like. You know, they're, they're kind of like skirting around the edges of the twilight of the twilight zone.
0: And, and I guess that's the thing to say that the older couple was like firmly in the
1: middle of it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. You, uh, you know, and, and I like the way it, like I, I'm surprised that we didn't see like any interaction from uh, the two women, like the two elderly women that sat down and had their shakes at the same table. Like they didn't at all get influenced by the box. They didn't even touch the box once, which I thought was interesting. So that box has no actual like it doesn't radiate a power or an aura or any type of, you know, uh, any type of um again, mysticism or some type of supernatural power for so like, hey, you know, interact with me and then we can start our journey together. Now it's just it's just mm-hmm. an inanimate box that you bring whatever you need to bring. It's like, I always love the um example of Yoda's cave and the Empire strikes back when Yoda says, you know, Luke asks what's in the cave, and Yoda says, only what you bring in with you." And Luke saw that as being literal and Yoda saw that as being kind of theoretical. Like, you know, if you bring in your fear and your doubt and your you know, frustration, and your anger, that's in the cave, not the weapons, not the clothes, not, you know, the tangible things. It's the metaphysical, the spiritual things follow you in there. And that's what followed Don into the diner and got manifested into that machine. Is that heavy? Yeah, I was, this bugged me since I was a kid. I was like, can he try the cave again?
0: <laughs> Is it like a one-time thing i mean right. if i were luke i was like wow that was wild what happens if i don't bring a lightsaber you know do i you know i, I feel like i don't know but maybe that's the whole point you only go into the demon box once you only go into the cave once and um <laughs> and he failed yeah and and that's where maybe that's where the couples are different don brought in his wife who while she was being the menial worker of turning the lever she was able he brought her in with him enough that she could pull him back out and that wasn't the case with the other couple so um yeah so the uh, so I'm gonna say Don deserved it but the 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 older couple is just depressing so maybe they do deserve it I don't know who they are but uh it's it's a pretty dark path
1: (laughs) or what they've done in order to stay there you know that's the thing we saw what Don you know his what his decision process was to keep going back into the diner I mean. You know, he even, um, he even tried to force the coincidence to happen when they ran across the street and passed the truck, but not pat, quite past the car and almost got Pat killed. So what happened to that other couple, you know, that forced them to keep coming back? What did they do, you know, or what did they prove, you know, or put themselves into position to prove that this box had that kind of sway over them, that kind of, you know, that, that that influence because it has proven them right time and again.
0: Yeah, and it, 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 again, a matter of perception, right? It's like how much magic do you see in this place or how much fortune-telling. Like um, another example, I teach kids, and I, I use playing cards for games and like class activities, and especially the younger ones, when I take my deck out, I, I can shuffle properly. You know, I can do the bridge and all that. And They're like, he's doing magic tricks. I'm like, no, man, no, I'm shuffling the cards. <laughs> this is for a game, folks. There's no magic involved today. <laughs> the other fun things when I start dealing cards and I just assume... It's old maid. I'm like, no, we, I never play old maid. <laughs> Kids want to play old maid. I guess is the the thing there. But uh, how do they know that? It's crazy. <laughs> um, the last question I throw on these episodes is: This is not a quality rating. This is a tripometer meter, from zero being not trippy at all to five being extremely trippy. Um, I do accept decimal points, strange noises, um, any anything like that. But where would you like to place this episode on
1: the tripometer? meter? I will give this a firm two point seven tickets. Okay. Yeah. You want to define that? <laughs> two full tickets for the 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 quality of the, the the writing. The the acting was obviously fantastic, if I say so myself. <laughs> um, the point seven is uh seven points for almost getting to three because I really wish that. They involved pat a little bit more in the decision making process with the tickets i think it would have been interesting for her character
0: okay so. i'm going to go a little higher on this one um i do enjoy vagueness i find vagueness to be relatively trippy so i i decided to bump this to a four mm-hmm. also because the machine the machine is like a whole point for me so <laughs> uh, yeah that that is the kind of merch i'm like do i want to I, i'm not going to Am I going to buy that? I just don't know.
1: (laughs) But see that that's that's kind of like the dynamic of the machine itself. You see the machine. Do I want to buy it? Why? Because I want to push the lever. Why? Because I want to get the ticket. Why? (laughs) No, no. I don't want.
0: I don't want to push the lever. I don't like fortune telling. I want people to come to my house and they push the lever. Of course, then maybe I can't get rid of them. So (laughs) that's
1: well, yeah. So that's I I I, want to be
0: the cook, I guess. (laughs)
1: Yeah, push the chicken fried steak. That's another thing. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna like give more points to the. Co- I'll I'll give it a I'll give it a solid three because the cook was so surly and awesome, right? He's just he's there and like he doesn't need to be there or doesn't even really need to speak, but he does. And you're like, why? Like, is he pushing something subliminally, like in front of them that we're not seeing? Except for
0: like crappy food choices, it's making me think of an old SCTV sketch, which is has Dave Thomas um doing a commercial for Grumbles. The food's not that great. You won't like the service, but no one will bother you. (laughs) (laughs) Grumbles. But hey, sometimes all of us want to go to grumbles, right? So
1: (laughs) if the service is good, you know, then
0: the service is not great. It's serving. food's just like whatever, but no one will bother you. So that's at least it's honest, you know, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Uh, Do you want to throw out any, any final thoughts on this one?
1: You know, I, I really, I'm really interested to see like, if this could, if this could be successful told today with like certain obvious, like, uh, you know, tropes in place, like social media being like one that we talked about, or just one of those like weird modern interpretations that you would see where, you know, a bunch of uh, maybe younger people, you know, like college students are like, say just more impressionable people. I'm I'm not saying that college students are, but you're in that phase where everything is, you know uh live or die you know like every decision is major you know am i gonna get a new job am i gonna fall in love am i gonna meet the right person am i gonna lose everything you know and then all of a sudden this one strange prop appears whether it's like it would be cool that you just dusted off this demon box because everyone would know what it was right but if what if it was just like you know like a ouija board you know or a, a magic eight ball or something that like you know um or a bag of fortune cookies, you know, that they find in a pantry, something that just you know exacerbates the the problem that's already there. The problem of kind of like uh, you know having a weak constitution, or in or the um, uh, the inability to make you know proper decisions, you know, because of whatever is happening in your life. So, I've always liked this. The same thing with Star Trek. I've always liked to see, or I'm excited to see, like what the modern interpretation is, because there is interpretation of the storytelling that's told in like 1960 based on, you know, the flavor of what superstition and addiction means at the time versus now. Right. So especially when it comes to, is this the allegory of addiction, you know, or an addictive personality, you know, into the downward spiral, or it's kind of like the addiction of the dopamine response. So it would be so cool to see like that. I don't know, maybe like a fan film can address that, but Actually, it would be like, nice. Jordan Peele got
0: halfway there for you. Um, I was just thinking there's an episode replay, which is very different circumstances, but about, mm-hmm. um, in this case, a, a mother and son trying to get out of a town. Um, and I was like, well, that's that's a little bit like this one. So then I, I just looked at the Nick of Time trivia and it has the replay, and epi- this is the episode, replay an episode of the 2019 revival series features a shot of the mystic machine in a cafe. So they actually uh-huh. did put the machine in that. So, yeah. Um, it, it is a very different episode, a very good episode, but um, it, it, someone else was having that. Well, someone else that was making the show had the same thought, apparently. So,
1: well, and it is a. I mean, would you consider this a famous episode because it's good, or it's a famous episode because it's Shatner, Shatner plus Demon Head? There you go. <laughs> right. Very iconic. Then a very iconic episode because there are two big icons, you know, filling the space.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are episodes. I mean, this one does have like it does have that existential dread that, you know, colors some of the better episodes, but it is missing like the full on supernatural edge. Cause, uh, you know, some of the twilight zones, that's why the question is, do they deserve it? Cause sometimes it's inevitable, you know, it's impossible to avoid this one. had You get choices in the nick of time, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the old, even the older couple could decide to leave if they really wanted to. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, I guess that's the, the the big question is like what power does it hold over them and it's not supernatural it's psychological obviously
0: exactly but um i I guess we'll wrap up today so uh norman if you want to tell people what's what's up in mission log land i'm looking at the date (laughs) in japan it's star trek day already so uh too early but uh maybe i'm hoping we hear something about prodigy on star trek day so
1: yeah no kidding (laughs) so do i um Well, thanks for having me on. And uh, Matthew, uh, as you have told your audience, I am one half of the team that is the hosting team for Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. You can find us and all of our podcasts at podcast.roddenberry.com. You can also find us at missionlogpodcast.com. And we go through every single episode of Star Trek from the beginning to the present and look for the morals and meanings and messages and See if these episodes stand up to the test of time. We are right now in a little bit near the halfway point of season two of Voyager. We also cover in modern Star Trek, lower decks on our Mission Log live show every Monday night on Facebook. And then we are also hoping for, as you said, a release date for the second half, episodes 11 through 20 of Star Trek Prodigy, which we do have on our YouTube channel. That's uh, Roddenberry Entertainment on youtube so please sure to check us out on all those different networks that being another show where it's like i I think i need some of that merch (laughs) (laughs) i definitely need uh
0: some more murph merch if you know what i mean yeah yeah i have to make do for now with this this 10 buck millennium falcon oop i found on something it's still awesome fellow you know why because
1: it's in the power it's 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 bigger than it is because it's fueled by the power of your imagination just like the demon box, that's true. It's also like '80s diecast, which is awesome. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I gotta love that
0: tiny starships. And uh, yeah, right. I guess uh, just to, to tell people, you are coming very close to both Threshold and Tuvix, if I'm, if I'm correct. You are correct,
1: sir. Um, <laughs> John Champion, I do believe, is scheduled to do the uh, the synopsis and breakdown for Tuvix. I will be doing Threshold, which thrills me to no end because that is so far my favorite episode of voyager
0: yeah i think about voyager it's like i think everyone's favorite episode is one that most people consider terrible Um, (laughs) yeah my favorite ones being um i think they're back-to-back even is a course oblivion and um the fight with chaotic space i won't tell you more than that and it'll be season
1: five where you get to this but (laughs) awesome i mean i'm looking forward to i know that when we were at the the convention and everyone like shout out like some gutsy you know i'm like okay i know what it is i know the rock's in it so everyone calm down <laughs> <laughs> that's the last season you got so you got some time before you get to the rock yeah probably i think like um so we try and do obviously an, an episode you know per week that's 52 weeks that's 26 episodes per season ish except for seasons one and two so we're looking at uh probably yeah, maybe three total years, maybe three and a half total years, you know, before we get to Enterprise.
0: Yeah, that's, you know, that's what I'm doing with the Twilight Zone here. Cause I'm like, sometimes, I mean, these are fun to do, right? Oh, I, I hope you think so, but I think these are fun. I too. loved it. So I'm like, I love like, being on. Yeah. some Sometimes, like, should I put out two a week? I'm like, no, don't, don't do that. There's some podcasts where I stop listening to them a lot because they put out too many episodes. So,
1: yeah, you pace, just got to pace, like, yeah, pace everything good. Yeah. For sure. But no, I had a great time. This was so much fun. And I'm I'm looking forward to like looking at an episode that doesn't have obviously the you know, the big draw for me in this episode is William Shatner. And I apologize, everyone, for um the William Shatner impersonation. Sometimes I'm on point, sometimes I'm not, but I, I think that's the same for William Shatner. Sometimes he's on point with himself and sometimes he's not. You know, so uh but the thing is is that he's always an interesting performance, isn't he?
0: yeah that's why people i mean we also we kind of love to hate him i mean what he did didn't he just say something like a few weeks ago like alienate half the star trek fans again so something
1: i like, don't even you know, even, <laughs> you know what, i don't even really pay attention to a lot of that stuff because i can't change what he said and i'm not going to change anyone's opinion on what they believe he said so all i know is does this episode of the twilight zone entertain me absolutely be, Yeah, because that's what i'm looking for i'm looking also, for him as an entertainer
0: this is what your great grandpa says you know <laughs> <laughs> i mean you, you don't know what's going to come out of the guy's mouth but the, the way i see it with famous people i mean there's a certain you know there, there, there's there's kevin spacey level which is a different thing but in general if people have mm-hmm. like a few foibles i'm like well do i have to deal with them in my kitchen no because uh I, I that's that's why. i Kind of understand about Shatner, like when he rubs people the wrong way. It's like apparently he's just like he never stops practical joking, basically. So if that he's, annoys he's, you, you will hate the
1: man. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> rubbed people the wrong way for decades, you know. And that's fine, you know you You can choose not to or to like him. That is your choice, you know. Yeah. You can you can turn him on, you can turn him off. That's the great thing about entertainment, you know. It's like Howard Stern said: If you don't like me, change the channel. <laughs> Well, or I guess it's finally
0: time that we try and get out of this, this podcast town, this town of podcasts. So smash the machine. Oh, they didn't smash the machine, did they? We can smash the machine. I, just want to smash I can't,
1: though. I, I can't decide whether or not I need to push the button again. I need that ticket, Matthew. I need it.
2: Bouncing through the fat and and pointing towards the sky. I will tell you everything, but it's never quite the time. In all the pictures, they look the same. In the castle of illusion, there's nothing mild again. In the castle of illusion, there's nothing mild again. There's a Bible spokestack that is written out sunshine. And it catches my intention every second of the time. Through all the flashes Oh, you may find There's a castle of illusion That's blowing out your mind Dig! There's a castle of illusion That's blowing out your mind Blowing out your mind Woo! What do you hear, boss? Nothing but the rain Nothing but the rain Yeah! streets with the tattooed grins displayed week after week and other the they look the same in the castle of illusion there's nothing mild game in the castle of illusion there's nothing mo again in, in the castle of illusion blowing out your mind.
1: Come on.